2: and their essential love of justice. Hi, welcome to the Kudzu Vine for January twelfth, 2020. I'm your host, David McLaughlin. Join me tonight, welcome Tim Shiflet.
0: Good evening, sir.
2: And um, hadn't gotten a word from Catherine, but hopefully she'll be here in a little while. But tonight on the show, very excited about our longtime polling expert that's been on a multitude of times, uh, from public policy polling in about 20 minutes, Tom Jensen will be calling in, so uh, that'll be a great discussion. But until then, we have other things to discuss, and I guess first and foremost, um, last week our major topic, first topic, was Iran, and luckily there has been news, but it hasn't been you know, quite as, as prevalent and as dire as it could have been because, of course – we could have easily been in a hot war about you know one week away, the way things looked like they could have escalated, and they haven't escalated that fast fast and I think that's good for everybody involved, but there have been things that have happened uh Tim, what are some of your thoughts?
0: Well, I think basically uh you know, and I thought this when when it happened was, was trump you know didn't think the thing all the way through, and once he pulled the trigger on on this uh, assassination of the general, um, I don't think he had thought through what his next plan was going to be if Iran responded. Which, of course, they were just they they basically were almost forced to respond, being he was like the second. Uh, top political person in the whole country, really, there, uh, and was very popular in his country. Uh, and the Iranians themselves gave Trump a way out. They, their response was, you know, the firing of, their, um, of the ballistic missiles, and uh, there were no casualties, although there was some damage. Uh, I believe they fired those types of missiles on. Purpose because uh you you can really tell when they're launched and it 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 gave it gave our people thirty minutes to get out of the way, and then the Iranians quickly followed that with an announcement that um you know, this is our response, and uh, we don't plan on doing any more unless the United States does any more. And basically by doing that, they gave Trump a way out so that he could come out and say, you know, they're standing down, blah, blah, blah. And that kind of diffused it a little bit. It is unfortunate, though, about uh, the plane that was shot down, isn't it?
2: Yes, and that was kind of strange. I mean, it was uh, um – a plane from um, one of the uh, Eastern European countries, I guess one of the formal former si- Ukraine, Soviet nation, Ukraine. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, and it it really had a lot of folks that were of Iranian descent, of some other nations. They were heading towards uh, Canada. Don't know their whole mm-hmm. um, flight plan, but uh, it, you know we couldn't. And it was apparently they say accidental. You know I don't have the the intel to say whether it was or it wasn't. Um either way and so it was, it was kind of a strange timing, if you will, being commercial plane, but they said they felt it was a um a missile that they were shooting down. I don't know you know what kind of, again what kind of capabilities they are to see how big um an object looks on radar to know if that's plausible or not um, but mm-hmm. hopefully that will kind of like we've hopefully had these incidents, and now things will you know cool down. That would be well, best for everybody. But now to kind of talking about one more thing because we don't want to spend too long on this because we've got a lot of got things to go to. Were you surprised by the reaction of the two Republican senators, Mike Lee and Rand Paul?
0: Yes, I was. They were not happy at all uh, with the explanation they were given uh, when uh, – you know, the administration leadership came over, uh, Pompeo and some others, to brief uh, the Senate uh, on, you know, what had actually happened. They they, they were not happy, um, and, and they're two of the more conservative members uh, of the thing. And, and I wanted to throw one more thing out here, too, because we're a political show. By, by a wide margin, Americans disapprove of Trump's handling of this situation. An ABC Ipsos poll had 43% approving of of his handling and 56% uh, in opposition. Those who approved, I mean, like 87% of the Republicans, there's the people that approved of it, and no one else did. Uh, That's just something to keep an eye on if this becomes an issue down the road in the presidential campaign.
2: Yeah, and, and I guess you can take two things from that. Either our country's so divided that um, you know people are always going to be uh, with their party no matter what, but usually um, these type of events kind of cross party lines, where you know initially people are going to support um, foreign military actions at least initially, um, even across party lines. But this could be a sign that you know people have heard, what they've heard they don't like um, you know the way that um, you know apparently he went with the most extreme yeah, uh, response uh, was going to bomb cultural sites and violate the Geneva Convention he finally stepped yeah. down on that um, I guess after his advisors said, well, like apparently like no we're not like apparently some of the yeah, um, military leaders said we won't target that because I guess. You know, if you violate Geneva Conventions, you can be held liable, I guess, as a general. You can't just say, oh, my commander in chief said so.
0: Yeah, but the problem Trump's got with this particular poll is that a very large majority of independents, unaffiliated voters were also in opposition to this. And, and that that's why uh, – by such a wide margin, Americans disapprove of this, and those people vote too, and if they're unaffiliated voters and they're disapproving of this, <laughs> that don't mean they're going to have uh, kind things to think about the president as the election season unfolds. So that's something for him and his folks to think about, isn't it?
2: Oh, definitely so. Well, we'll continue to you know see what happens both in the political fallout and, like I said, hopefully not any more actions. Um, Either way in the coming weeks But now let's talk about some more polling And and some that I found You know, still surprising Because these two gentlemen have gotten no traction um, In any big way But they spent a whole lot of money But this week um, Some movement finally started showing up In the polls with them I've forgotten the state We've seen so many polls we send them to each other But Mike Bloomberg in one of the state polls Has moved up to third Behind only Joe Biden and Bernie Sanders, um of course he's been spending buhooos of money, I believe he's the only candidate running network national t v ads and it looks like uh the he's finally breaking through um Tim, you probably will remember the state um but where is it that uh Bloomberg is actually uh making this progress?
0: Well, well, actually, uh, Bloomberg, uh, according to what I have here, is making his mark in the national polls that while it's it, yeah. Steyer. It's yeah. Steyer that's making his mark in in the state polls. All of that money they're pouring okay. into ads is really starting to pay off. Steyer, uh, I got some figures here. Steyer has spent $106 million and a lot of it in Nevada and South Carolina. Well, uh, right now, Fox News poll of South Carolina: Biden thirty-six. Styer is actually in second place there with fifteen percent. Go to Nevada, Fox News poll, same poll: Biden twenty-three, Sanders seventeen. Styer is moved into third there. Uh, that and, and and what's the difference? Well, he spent more money in those two states than all the other candidates combined, who have focused the, more of their money in like Iowa and New Hampshire, and it's paying off for him. Now, you mentioned Bloomberg. He spent $211 million so far, and he's focused a lot of that money in big states, Texas, California, New York. Well, guess what? He is no lower now than fifth place in any new national poll, and he is uh, actually at 11% in one of the polls, uh, running running tied for third place. This the spending binge it is amazing, uh, isn't it, David?
2: Yeah, I mean, that's an incredible amount of money, and at that pace, he, I think he said he's willing to spend a billion dollars, and he'll get there, um, which is kind of – don't you think with both of these gentlemen that there is a ceiling and um, – You know, without if they didn't spend, you know, if they say spit the same amount of money as Cory Booker, they'd be far lower than he is. So, um, they can spend and spend and spend, but there's probably a cap as high as they can go. Um, so therefore, uh, what do you think?
0: Well, the the thing is, there's still 13 candidates in the race, so the seedling that you're talking about, I'm sure it exists. But it doesn't have to be as high, you see. I mean, if these guys can get up to, like, 20 percent and actually have that show up for them at the polls, they're going to start getting delegates and stuff in these states. The first thing you're going to know with so many candidates in the race, they're going to pop up and win one of these states, uh, maybe. Look, Democrats spent $150 million in in December, totally. In December of 2015, Democrats running for president spent about a third of that. Uh, There's only one month in all of the 2016 election season, all the way up to Election Day, and that was like the month before the election, where both parties combined spent more money than that in a month. That's why I say this spending binge is amazing. I hate to come out and say these guys are buying their way in, but can can you think of some better way to put it?
2: Oh yeah, I mean, uh, you know, Michael Bloomberg, I, he doesn't seem to have a lot of grassroots roots, roots support. Um, it, it's just all these ads, and these ads are really not they mean that much about him. There's been a few, you know, those you know factory shot ads with the voiceover kind of thing, but a lot of it's been mm-hmm. negative Donald Trump. And I guess the buzz is, oh, I can spend all this money. Um, but you got to think, whoever the Democratic nominee is is going to have enough funding uh, oh, yeah. to oh, compete. Yeah. So that yeah. – because all these folks that have been given these small-dollar donations, they may not have given to but one or two candidates. Although we have seen that some of them are given to, let like, say, seven eight candidates, they're probably going to come around uh, for whoever the nominee is and give more money for them too to defeat Donald Trump. So so money's not like you're thinking oh well it's not like say a, a US Senate race or a US House race oh that one well-funded self-funded candidate is our only chance yeah. to you know really put up a fight. Here you're going to put up a fight with whoever you nominate. Um so yeah. that the money doesn't get as compelling. Uh, I, I mean I just really it, it's kind of um like Michael Bloomberg, he was a mayor of a city. And of course, you know, people on the left detract because of the stop and frisk. And then a lot mm-hmm. of people on the far right, they don't like the uh, soda tax uh, that he had. And those are the two big things I think he's known for specifically in policies. And uh, they, of course, on the two yeah. polls of the parties uh, have detractors. Um, yeah, yeah, and so he's but. not known for that. Um, you know, issue that kind of brings everybody together, if you will.
0: Yeah, but now here's another thing about these two guys, David, that we've never heard before. I mean, both of them have, I mean, they don't have unlimited money, but politically speaking, they can spend it all day. Bloomberg has already directly promised it, and Starr has just as good as promised it. That both of them, regardless of who gets the nomination, are going to keep pouring money into the presidential race, Democratic candidates down lower, and Democratic causes. That's going
2: to make a lot of difference, isn't it? Well it would and, and, but then you do have to ask it at what point, like a billion dollars, my goodness, well, its could he have done with that money, you know, spend some reasonable amount on uh, a right, run, and then uh, put that money to just strictly some kind of charity. Um, it, it's just my I guess, to think about but, but no, let's uh, let's ask this question: who do they hurt like who if if Starr does well, who does he hurt? If Bloomberg does well, who does he hurt?
0: Oh, that's a uh... – I mean,
2: where they are on the
0: political spectrum, and I would have to assume Steyer, uh because of his chief issue, is probably a good bit more liberal than Bloomberg is on most issues. So I would say Steyer would be taking uh, support away from Sanders and Warren, and and Bloomberg would be hurting either Biden – are any other moderates that are trying to position themselves as the moderate alternative to uh, Biden. And I really think that's what Bloomberg is trying to do right now, get into that position. And I really believe Steyer is is focusing on finishing in as many polls as he can ahead of Sanders and Warren. What do you think?
2: I think you're absolutely right about Bloomberg, um, that that he's kind of the more moderate. I guess some people will say, oh, he's the safe choice to beat Trump, although I would think that Joe Biden was a safer choice than Michael Bloomberg mm-hmm. uh, to go yeah. up against Trump. So I kind of would dispute that, um, but uh, that seems where he would cut – maybe he would cut into Klobuchar because if somebody just was like, I'm not voting for Joe Biden, but I want a moderate, Klobuchar would kind of be the next one. Um, I really don't understand exactly a lot of the animus that Pete Buttigieg is getting. I do think obviously he's more moderate than uh, Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren, but I don't think he's mm-hmm. this. I'm um, really trying to be middle of the road guy. I think he tries to be like the thoughtful guy that that looks at everything, uh, you know, logically first before he worries about mm-hmm. the, where, the political spe- spectrum. Now with Star, well, sure, I think he probably does hurt uh Sanders and Warren to a bit cuz he is true more to the left but I think he probably hurts some of those lower down candidates that would like to be getting some of that vote like Booker Castro just got out probably k- kind of impacted some of that um who else is st- Yang? cuz you know Yang is uh-huh. kind of a a right. businessman or an entrepreneur whatever you want to say like Starr from a belief both had some well. California roots are our connections. I guess if you're anything in the computer field, you have to have some connections out either in California or um, mm-hmm. Washington State. So I got another
0: question for you. Both these guys, as you know, got in the race late. Why, with their money and resources, did they not get in the race earlier? Uh, Bill, these Long-term organizations in these states go in on the ground like some of the others did, did, only they would be doing it with a lot more money to get on TV earlier and stuff and just mop up.
2: Why, Why did they choose
0: to enter the race so late?
2: I think STAR is an unknown quantity. Now, I know he was kind of laying the groundwork with the anti-impeachment efforts, but right. I think he probably right. should have gotten in earlier. I think two things with Bloomberg. One, if Bloomberg would have spent at this pace for five more months, good gracious, he'd be even closer to the billion dollars. He might have spent a billion dollars in the primary, um, so uh-huh. his bank account probably couldn't have survived that, even his. But more importantly, I think he – you know there was a time in which I think Joe Biden seemed a little weaker to a lot of folks, and – People were like, "Oh no, uh, there ought to be a moderate alternative to Joe Biden because he's you know having trouble in these debates, and this negative thing is coming up, and people assumed I think that it would hurt him,
1: and mm-hmm. he seems
2: a little more Teflon than that, but I think that's when Michael Bloomberg decided to get in. Now, I think he may have to kind of reassess that because Joe Biden kind of um you know nothing much seems to hurt him uh the people that don't mm-hmm. like him will say more about how they don't like him but as far as the people that are planning on voting for him or at least considering him he doesn't seem to fall away much at all um his mm-hmm. numbers have been very consistent so therefore you know bloomberg may have miscalculated if that was his reason for getting in this race
0: mhm
2: um and what of uh
0: you know, we we haven't mentioned him, but what about Sanders' sudden surge? What's that about?
2: I think that that was Elizabeth Warren had a rise, and then she's starting to have a fall. Can she have another rise? I don't know. But I think that's where, um, you so know, Bernie he, Sanders' numbers at, kind of at, traded at, in at and out. With her. Expense, huh? That's all at her expense.
0: That's all at
2: her expense. I just think it would have to be. I don't know. Or maybe some of these candidates that got out, like Beto O'Rourke and like. Um, Castro and a few Not all of them, I mean I don't think he probably got a lot of Tim Ryan's vote, but those Candidates that were more seen As more progressive, maybe he soaked up Their support in bigger numbers Than anyone else, I I don't know That's my Mm -hmm. best explanation Um, But I want to welcome in right now For, like I said at the top of the show I don't know how many times, but he is our Go-to polling expert From public policy polling Welcome back, Tom Jensen
3: Hey, good to be with you all
2: Oh, great to have you back Um, Well, I want to go ahead uh, Even though we're talking about national stuff I'm not sure uh, what Tim will have planned to ask So I'm going to give him a lot of latitude But one I want to ask about And I sent you an email to kind of warn you I got a fundraising email From a candidate in Georgia that That cited a poll That it sourced Public policy polling Conducted on the GOP um, possible primary, uh, or I guess the jungle primary portion of um, the U.S. Senate race, newly appointed Senator Kelly Loeffler and Doug Collins. And it showed Doug Collins winning by some huge number, like by 56 to 16. Tell us anything and everything you can about that poll, or did somebody misquote you, if you will? <laughs>
3: No, I mean, those were definitely the results of the poll. Uh, We had some people afterwards say, why are you polling a Republican primary when there is no Republican primary? And the reason that we did it that way was the client we were working with was interested in seeing where Republican voters are. Right now, we don't really know who the Democratic candidate is going to be. Matt Lieberman obviously is in. Maybe he will end up being the top Democrat, but there might still be room for more. So we thought that the Trying to pull the jungle primary was sort of too undefined at this time, so that's why we looked at the Republican primary. And as you say, it turns out that uh, being one of Donald Trump's leading advocates against impeachment wins you quite a bit of currency with Republican primary voters. So uh, I think that if the election was today, which obviously it's not, uh, you would see if Collins decided to run, you would see the two people who advanced – … … end up being him and either Lieberman or whoever one of the other Democrats ends up being, but definitely uh, not a ton of initial support for uh, the newly appointed senator.
2: Yes. Now, I don't know if you all just asked that one question or if you just have your own insights or you've seen other numbers. Why does her numbers start off so slow given that – and I know you're not the Atlanta media market, but the Atlanta Constitution seemingly daily, has a story on her, Um, so it's not like she lacks for uh, press attention.
3: Well, she may not lack for press attention, but I think that one thing we sort of are learning are that people pay less and less attention to the mainstream press. So one thing we did find in the poll was only about a third of Republican primary voters knew enough about her to have an opinion about her one way or the other. Uh, So I think that's part of the issue. But then The other part of the issue is where do Republican primary voters get their news more than anywhere else, Fox News? Well, Collins, as one of the leading defenders for the president against impeachment, Mm -hmm. has been all over Fox News, and that's what people are going to see way more than the Journal constitution, especially when it comes to a Republican primary electorate where they're so distrustful of what you and I would probably consider to be neutral mainstream news sources and sort of only pay attention to Fox News.
2: Yes, well, one more one more final question on Senator Loeffler, and and that would be a lot's been um, discussed about her um, ownership of the WNBA and the WNBA, um, you know, when it delves into politics, delves into more progressive issues. Um, sure. And so, therefore, it's been speculated that um, that's going to come back to honor Has there been any? Anything in the numbers, or is that just all the people that understand how sports and politics work speculating?
3: I think at this point that's just a speculation thing, but certainly if Representative Collins or some other prominent Republican decides to also run and try to squeeze her out of making it into the top two, uh, I think they'll play dirty uh, to sort of use whatever they can in her background against her given the – Absence of a really long voting record Like a more traditional appointee Might have had So definitely could potentially see that stuff Sort of coming back And being used in sort of a a Dirty manner in a campaign
2: Yes well thank you For all those questions on Georgia I'm so glad that uh, Matt Lieberman's Campaign somehow sent me That email so I would have The numbers to to ask you about them But now I'm going to throw (laughs) it to Tim And after that we're going to throw it to Catherine I want to acknowledge we got her on the line now. Um, Tim, take it away.
0: Uh, Good evening, Mr. World Traveler. How are you
3: doing tonight? (laughs) I'm good. Good to be with you. I'm glad that I made it back to North Carolina so that we could talk and didn't get stranded in an airport somewhere. (laughs) (laughs) There we go. Now, one state you
0: just visited, I want to talk to you about that right now. You're polling out in the state of Arizona, even when you allocate undecideds in the presidential race out there, what we are left with, uh, according to your polling, is a bunch of two and four point matchups in the general election. So, is Arizona destined to be a too close to call state on election night, or is something going to change between now and then?
3: Well, here's the totally nightmarish fantasy that I see happening is, uh, you know, people talk the most about sort of the path to Democrats winning this year being win back Michigan, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania. Uh, Mm -hmm. I think Democrats are a lot more solid in Michigan and Pennsylvania than they are in Wisconsin. So let's just give the Democratic nominee Michigan and Pennsylvania. So now – the Democrats got to win Wisconsin to win the Electoral College or probably the next most likely state that they can win to win the Electoral College is Arizona. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: Well,
3: what we know about Arizona is it takes them three weeks to count the vote. And Mm -hmm. it starts out on election night as good for Republicans as it's going to be. And then over the following three weeks, it gets better and better and better for Democrats. Last year, Uh, In the U.S. Senate race, the Republican Martha McSally I think was up by one or two points on the Democrat Kirsten Sinema on election night, and then as they counted the vote over the next week, Sinema took the lead. Well, let's
2: Mm -hmm. say that the
3: Democrat loses Wisconsin. There's very much a world where Trump's up by one point on election night in Arizona, and if he won Arizona, he got reelected. But then as the vote gets counted over the next two or three weeks, it flips to the Democrat, and the Democrat wins. I'm sure Trump's going to be very gracious about having led in Arizona on election night, and then two weeks after the election, turns out he actually lost Arizona and lost the presidency because of that. That's something that very well could happen. Oh, oh, yeah. I'm I'm sure he'll say the process was totally
0: fair, right? And I'm I'm winking (laughs) when I say that, by the way. (laughs) <laughs> now, another question here about Arizona. You know the U.S. Senate race is pretty tight, but it's, it's been showing Kelly with uh, a small staple lead on, on Sally. On election night, do you expect Trump to act as the top of the ticket, or do you feel that Kelly could be – actually the top of the Democratic ticket, and one or the other could carry that state for their party and sweep both races.
3: Yeah, I mean, I definitely don't think there'll be more than about a two to four point difference between how the presidential race and how the Senate race goes, but I can definitely see a world where Mark Kelly is stronger than the Democratic candidate for president, and maybe he wins by three or four points, and that helps push the Mm -hmm democratic candidate over the line uh mm-hmm. um, and uh also just wanted to say in relation to your Georgia Senate race the way I sort of see the Senate picture right now is that democrats are probably going to lose the Alabama Senate race so that takes it to 54-46 but i think the win colorado that gets it back to 53-47 i think right now they're favored in Arizona that gets it to 52-48 Assuming that if Democrats are going to have any chance of getting control of the Senate, they have to win the presidency, that means you're looking at trying to get to a 50-50 tie so that Vice President Stacey Abrams can break the ties in the Democrats' favor in the Senate. Uh, Mm -hmm. And when you're thinking about winning two more Senate races, I think Georgia is very much on the list of the places where Mm -hmm. Democrats can – you know, possibly win those last two Senate races to get to the 50-50. I think right now North Carolina is probably the 49th seat. Uh, but after that, you have Georgia, both seats. You have Maine, Texas, Iowa, Kansas. And those are all places where Democrats probably have about a 25 to 30% chance. But because there's so many places with a 25 to 30% chance, and, of course, two of them in Georgia, uh, I think – Uh, At least there's a lot of different places where Democrats potentially could get that 50th seat, even though they aren't necessarily favored in any of them individually.
0: Mm -hmm. And funny you should mention the Senate, because I'm going to ask you a question about that and throw it to Catherine uh, with the caveat that I might come back later and ask a couple of more questions. But I've heard this for years about Susan Collins that – She's beatable. You know, it's Maine, and she's a Republican, and she's beatable up there, only to see her hold her seat, well, easily most times. (laughs) Is 2020 different,
3: and if so, then why? So 2020 definitely is different, but the question is whether it's 36 points different. I May have that exact number off the top of my head wrong, but I think she got reelected by 36 points in 2014. Mm-hmm. And that mm-hmm. and that's something like 35 or 40 percent of people who voted Democratic for president in 2016 voted for Collins in 2014. So mm-hmm. I think her best case this year is winning by about five. The world has definitely changed. Part of it is simply that. You just don't have that willingness to vote for people on both sides of the aisle that you used to have even five years ago. So, a lot of the people who have been Democratic leaning voters who have also voted for Collins, not going to vote for her anymore just because Trump has made everything so polarized and people have gotten much more rigid in terms of sort of voting the same party right down the line. And of course, Collins has. Contributed to that on a personal level by uh, voting for Brett Kavanaugh's nomination and stuff like that. So uh, I do think that, you know, the days of Collins winning easily are definitely over. She does still, though, have about 10 to 15 percent of Clinton voters who like her. And one thing that I think sometimes gets lost about Maine. It was actually a very competitive state in 2016. Hillary Clinton won it, but she only won it by three points. So if Mm -hmm. Collins gets all the Trump voters and then gets 10 percent of the Clinton voters, she's reelected. Now, Mm -hmm. the thing that I think could really derail Collins is this impeachment issue. Uh, We did a poll in October, and we found that Collins was – slightly behind a generic Democratic candidate when we did that poll, and the reason we did Mm -hmm. a generic Democratic candidate is just because her opponent's not well-known yet. Um, Mm -hmm. So she was slightly down, and then we said, okay, now what if she votes for impeachment? How does that affect your vote? And she did worse if she voted for impeachment. Oh, wow. And And then we said, okay, what if she votes against impeachment? How does that affect your vote? She did worse then too, so <laughs> impeachment's a very difficult issue for her politically because it makes her do worse no matter how she votes. If she votes for it, a lot of Republicans just say I'm not going to vote for her, and that's a real thing. I think one thing that was really interesting in 2016 is Democrats lose almost all the close Senate races, but the ones they win are in New Hampshire and in Nevada. Well, what did the uh-huh. Republican candidates in New Hampshire and Nevada have in common? Kelly Ayotte in New Hampshire and Joe Heck in Nevada both denounced Trump. And the Republicans – enough Republicans said, okay, if you denounce Trump, we're not going to vote for you. And they both lost by narrow margins. So that shows you that you know there really are enough Republicans out there who, if you aren't for Trump, they won't vote for you to possibly cost you a Senate race. And then, of course, if she votes against impeachment – She's already lost a lot of her crossover support that she's had over the years. A lot of people have voted for her in the past. They're not going to vote for her anymore because of Kavanaugh, because they can't have her there as another vote for Mitch McConnell, those kinds of things. Uh, So she possibly ends up at the point where she loses all of her crossover support. One interesting thing that happened in 28 – oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, so you just
0: described uh, a textbook definition of a, of a rock in a, a hard place. What's her best option?
3: Oh, yeah. I've been saying for three months that it's possible that the best thing that could come for Democrats out of the whole impeachment process is that it puts Susan Collins in such a pickle that she finally loses her seat because she, you know, go, she loses no matter what on this issue. So, mm-hmm. you know, even if Trump, uh, you know, does not get convicted by a fifty-three to forty-seven margin or whatever, which seems very plausible uh, that that's how it's going to turn out, uh, if that somehow causes Susan Collins to lose and that's the fiftieth seat for Democrats in the Senate, then impeachment will have been very worth it.
0: Well, wow. well,
3: with that, I'm
0: going to throw it over to Catherine. Catherine.
1: Hey, Tom. Thanks so much for being on. Hey, You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to throw it back to Tim because he has more questions, and I'm just really not prepared. I'm sorry I was late. I had some things going on. So I'm going to let – I know Tim has some more questions. I'm going to let him go ahead. Thank you. Oh, yeah, All right. That's ahead, totally Tim. fine.
0: Well, well here, here we go. Let's go from Maine. Let's see. We went from Arizona way over to Maine. Now we're going to split the difference. I want to go to Iowa. Because in Iowa, your polling there has shown that the presidential race is like neck and neck. It's it's even closer than than what you've got in Arizona. But but something I noticed in your polling, that everyone, no matter who it is, runs a similar race against Trump, and it doesn't seem to matter which wing of the Democratic Party they hail from. So our voters— Party choices already baked in for 2020, do you think, uh, by looking at that poll?
3: I would say pretty much yes. What we're seeing in Iowa and Arizona and most everywhere we poll is that no matter what Democrat you test Trump against, Trump gets about the same percentage of the vote no matter what. In Arizona, mm-hmm. it's 46 or 47%. In Iowa, it's a little better for him. It's 48 or 49%. No matter which Democrat it is, that's the general area where Trump polls. The Democrats do a little bit uh, different levels of support, and a part of that has to do with the willingness of people to sort of unify around whoever the candidate is. Uh, for instance, we find that there is uh, not a lot, but some people who say, okay, I'll vote for Biden, but I'm undecided if it's Bernie, or okay, I'll vote for Bernie, but I'm undecided if it's Biden. A big Mm -hmm. piece of what's going to determine what's going to happen this fall is whether all those people end up getting on the same page or not this fall. Uh, I Mm -hmm. think that if everybody who doesn't like Trump votes for the same person against him in November, he's gone, 100%. Mm -hmm. He does not have nearly enough people who like him to get reelected by people who like him. The only Mm -hmm. way he gets reelected is if the people who don't like him just split off different ways and – he can get reelected with 46% of the popular vote or something like that. Uh, But anyway, Mm -hmm. back to the sort of overall question you asked. Something we tell people, and I still feel pretty much this way, although it's maybe dimmed a little bit, is people are going to vote based on whether they like Mm -hmm. Trump or not for the most part. So go ahead Mm -hmm. and vote for who you like for the Democratic candidate. Instead of trying to guess at who people in – Wisconsin are going to be willing to vote for in the general. Just vote for who you like and sort of let it play out that way rather than just trying to cast a a strategic vote.
0: Okay. And I'm I'm going to leave a lot of this other national stuff for David uh, because I'm going to ask you one more question, and it's closer to home. And it's really about your home, and it's a two-part question. And it's one that we've talked about a little bit before, but maybe it's coming more into focus now as we move toward the election this year. In your state. how vulnerable this day is Tom Tillis? And the second part of that is, will he even be the GOP nominee?
3: Sure. Uh, Well, I do think he'll be the GOP nominee, but he's had to spend a whole lot of money and effort to make that a reality. Uh, Mm -hmm. We were finding over the summer that he was only polling at about 40 percent for the Republican nomination. He was in a very close race with his then primary challenger, Garland Tucker. So Tillis Mm -hmm. ended up spending, I think, several million dollars on ads to buff himself up with Republicans in october November, you know five five, four, five months before the primary, and then that I mean that worked you know then all of a sudden, he was up sixty to ten in the primary, and his main primary challenger, Garland Tucker, ended up deciding not to run after that but it's not mm-hmm. really a sign of strength if you have to spend a ton of money in October of an odd year to make sure you can actually even win your party's primary so I do think he will be the Republican candidate, but I think the general election is a total 50-50 sort of proposition. Uh, mm-hmm. Tillis is not popular, 25%, 30% approval rating, that sort of range. A lot of voters Ooh. have no opinion about him one way or the other. Uh, so when I say it's 25%, 30% approval, it's not like he has a 75% disapproval. It's more like 25% approved, 45 disapprove 30 percent have no opinion kind of thing but still not strong um and the last couple of times we polled him against his most likely democratic opponent cal cunningham uh he was down by one or two points so definitely a situation there where i think uh somebody's going to win that race by two points or less probably uh mm. and we'll just see who emerges but i expect it to be maybe the closest Senate race in the country, just as it was uh, six years ago when Tillis was first elected. Wow. Well, with that, I'm
0: going to throw it back to David because
2: I know he's got a bunch of
0: stuff yet he wants to ask. David?
2: Yes. Well, I want to ask about Iowa, but not the presidential race. Um, Joni Ertz is un- up for re-election, and we know Iowa, this is a state four years ago, trended. Republican, But then they elected, I believe, two new Democratic congressional members two years ago. So it seems to be a state in flux. Um, I think it's going to come back in the battleground map on the presidential level. And all that would seem to stand that Joni Ertz would not be a slam dunk, if you will. What are the numbers showing for her reelection chances?
3: So right now, Ernst is up by six points against her Democratic opponent, Teresa Greenfield. But I think it's a better situation for Greenfield than those numbers look like on the surface, uh, because her name recognition isn't that high yet. And most of the undecideds in that uh, matchup are sort of more Democratic-leaning voters. When we allocate the undecideds for Senate based on how they feel about Trump, which is probably a good uh, litmus test for how they'll end up voting for the Senate, Ernst's lead goes from six points all the way down to two points. So you're definitely looking at potentially a very competitive race. And then the other thing that's kind of interesting about that race is one thing that we do all the time when we're doing polls for clients uh, is they want to test out how different issues play in the campaign. So you'll ask people who they're going to vote for, and then you'll tell them about some of the issues in the campaign and then sort of gauge what their reaction to those issues is and ask them again who they would Vote for now that they have that information. Well, Joni Ernst has been having this big uh, sort of illegal fundraising scandal over the last couple months, and when we asked about that on the poll, not that many people knew about it already, but once they were informed about it, that six point lead that Ernst started out with moved all the way to a five point lead for Greenfield, and that is actually kind of unusual in our polling to see. Uh, an informed horse race question like that moved by 11 points. It's usually something that will move it by like two or three points or something like that. Uh, so what we would take away from that is that this uh, campaign finance sort of scandal that Ernst is having really does have the potential to move the race away from her. We'll see how big of an issue in the campaign that ends up being here over the last uh, nine and a half months. But, Uh, We definitely saw, at least in that initial polling, that it had the ability to move the dial more than things that we usually poll on do.
2: Yes, and one final question about Iowa, and I'm sure you didn't poll on this particular race, but as you got data and started looking at the western end of Iowa, uh, Representative Steve King, quite controversial.
1: He um, had a
2: much tougher race than I think he was expecting, but he hasn't changed in any way. Seemingly how he functions. Um, Did anything in your Iowa numbers get gleaned into if he might be in trouble this time?
3: So that statewide poll didn't tell us anything about him, but we actually did do a poll in his district over the summer about mm, seven or eight months after his election where he had only gotten reelected by about three points. And we found that things in his district had not changed at all. Uh, in a rematch with his Democratic opponent JD Shulton, we found that he was only up by two points, and we're talking about a district that I think voted for Trump by 27 points. So it's insane that that district has gotten as competitive as it is, uh, and we definitely did find when we did that poll that it looked like it would be just as competitive uh, once again this fall as it was now two falls ago. So uh, you know, it's it's going to be difficult to get over. That 50 percent mark for Shulton, but just the fact that it's even as close as it is in such a Trumpy district is pretty remarkable. Uh, Colin Peterson's district in Minnesota is the Trumpiest held by a Democrat. Trump won it by 31 points. But after that, the second Trumpiest district held by a Democrat, I believe, is uh, Anthony Brindisi's district in upstate New York, which uh, voted for Trump by only 16 so it just shows you how remarkable it is for things to be as close as they are in a Trump-plus-27 district when you consider that the second-most uh, Trumpy district that a Democrat has only voted for Trump by 16.
2: Yes, mm. um, and that actually helps us, I guess, know which districts to look at. That, uh, And I knew about the Colin Peterson seat up there in northern Minnesota. Um, well, I want to ask you a final question, a national one, um, and it's not going to be about candidates because I think – It's hard to tell if people win states, do they get momentum, or do the national numbers mean more. So I want to ask more about overall issue polling y'all might have done. Um, I think a lot of times with activists we get uh, focused into the outrage. Can you believe what Trump tweeted, or can you believe that he did this? Whereas back a few years ago uh, when they tried to repeal health care, that really moved his numbers. It was kind of an issue – that was more like it affected people's lives. It might not just been sizzle and outrage. It was, you know, real-world problems. Um, Right now, what looks like are going to be an issue or issues that really move those voters that may decide some of these states?
3: Well, that's a great question, and uh, it sort of leads me to one of my number one arching observations about the world we're in right now, which is that, the political climate now really is the same as it was in the November in November of 2018. Uh, nothing has really changed big picture from what the conditions of the country were like politically when Democrats had that very strong election. It hasn't gotten better for Democrats since then, but it hasn't gotten worse either. Uh, and I think those big wins in Southern governor's races that we saw for Democrats last year were reflective of that, the, Flipping of the Virginia House and Senate were reflective of that. Uh, but the way that relates to your question is that one thing we're still finding, which speaks to this thing being just like 2018 again, is that healthcare is still easily at the top of the list in terms of the issues
0: mm. uh,
3: that voters are most concerned about.
0: Uh,
3: it's the top issue for about 30 to 35 percent of voters, and nothing else gets more than about 10 percent. Uh, And then when you combine what people say their top issue is and what their second biggest issue is, it gets to about 60 percent. And nothing else when you combine top and second biggest issues is higher than about 30 percent. So healthcare is still by far and away the biggest issue. Uh, Then a couple of other things that are sort of rising to the top are education. And then the one that's very interesting to me is gun laws are sort of rising to the top. And it used to be a decade ago that gun issues being high up on the list would have definitely been a good thing for Republicans, uh, because they generally were much more likely to win out on that issue. Uh, But that political calculus has really kind of changed. And now I think it might be at least as good for Democrats as Republicans, especially in a lot of the suburban areas that are becoming increasingly so politically important. We certainly saw that in y'all's neck of the woods in Georgia's 6th congressional district and Uh, 2018 where lucy mcbath was able to win somewhere that had long been a republican stronghold talking a lot about those kinds of issues and Somewhere we're talking about those kinds of issues probably would have really hurt democrats a couple decades ago and now it helps Yes
2: well tom thank you so much for coming on you were as informative as always and you're always informative so uh, Can't wait to have you on down the road as we get further into the 2020 cycle
3: well, I always really enjoy talking with you all, and uh, we're coming up on our 12th anniversary of the first time I came on the show. I was telling a friend today that I'm amazed that you all have the energy to still do this every week after at least 12 years. I do not That's just the first time I came on, so I don't know how long you had been doing it before then. But I, I really appreciate your passion for keeping people informed.
2: Yes. Well, thanks again for coming on the show.
3: Thank you. Okay, uh, talk to you all soon. Yes. yes. Bye-bye.
2: All right. Uh, Tom Jensen, Public Policy Polling, of course, uh, you know, search him on Twitter. Look on the site, uh, publicpolicypolling.org. You can find all that information um, about all the work they do. Well, let's go ahead and and talk about a topic that we actually came out last week. We didn't get to it, but it's just too interesting not to. And, Catherine, I definitely will get your thoughts on this early uh, to make you a part of the show. Some Axios reported it. I'm not sure if they actually um, commissioned the poll, but they looked at you know Donald Trump win or lose, there's going to be somebody new in 2024. Who do Republicans favor? They they surveyed nearly uh, 2,000 Republicans, so it's a pretty you know large sample. Oh, actually, SurveyMonkey um, did it, and um, Mike Pence, his vice president, came out first with 40%. His son came out second with 29 percent. His former UN ambassador came out third, Nikki Haley, 26 percent. And his daughter came out fourth with 16 percent. Then from there, you finally get to some non-Trump people that aren't in his administration. Um, but the first four people are in some way tied to Donald Trump, two of those being his children. Um how clear is this a sign, Catherine, that he has completely taken over and put his stamp on the GOP?
1: It's shocking that anyone would consider either of those children viable contenders for the presidency, isn't it? It just seems I mean uh-huh. they have no no experience except whatever you might say they've had while their father has been president, which is negligible as well. Um, yeah, I guess it does show a complete uh, brainwashing of. Uh, and did they say whether they they polled Republican voters? Yeah,
2: Republicans and Republican leaners. I mean, they didn't ask Democrats. Okay. Um, or or independents, just true independents in the poll either. Um, which is a uh, fair way to do it. I will say this. Now, I watched several seasons of The Apprentice, um, and I did find the two children uh, to have more um, intelligence and um, you know awareness than he did. Uh, so, therefore, I have seen no reason why he should hold the office, but that doesn't mean those two, just because they're sharper than him, uh, should be holding the office either. This is a clear case of nepotism, Um right there uh tim some of your thoughts on this poll
0: well yeah it is a clear uh, sign that donald trump has totally taken over the republican party and put his stamp on it and, and as we've talked about recently we've uh we've we've seen that trump's people have gone state to state and taken over every state party uh taken over a lot of the big Uh, Metro Republican parties, they've taken over everything. They haven't left any uh, Trump adversaries out there. And this also shows the depth of support that Trump has among his hardcore base, because his hardcore base is going to look to continue either with him or with a legacy of him, and those four people you mentioned are directly tied to him, intimately tied to him, and that's just fine with his hardcore base. They're, they're not going to be shook. They're, they're just not.
2: Yes. Now, Catherine, I'll ask you another question. Um, this is a speculation, but, you know, if Donald Trump could pick one of his two children to secede him um, – which one do you think it would be?
1: Oh, boy, that's a good question. Oh, man. I'd have to say the son.
2: Really? You think so? I, I would think the way he talks would be his daughter, Ivanka. Now, of course, I don't think the Republican base trusts her at all. I think that's why she's doing worse. I think she's got more tension, particularly in the um, actual governmental arena, not the little book tour. And, um, you know, the little snarky comments on Twitter that Don Jr. does, but I think that they see that, you know, she's probably more moderate than he is, whereas uh, Don Jr., you know, he's been um, probably to the right of Donald Trump on, like, gun issues, promoting the um, legalization of silencers, which is, you know, just pretty Mm. unfathomable. Um, And, of course, he had his little book that uh, he attacked the snowflakes, if you will, in air quotes. And so, therefore, I do think he'll do better with that electorate, even though I think that would not be uh, Big Don's choice. Tim? Uh, I, think uh, well, I, I, think
1: he, I don't think he trusts women. I think, I think he trusts her, women though. Well, but, I mean, I just think, you know, he might, you know, have a great deal of fondness for her and believe that she's, um, you know, very talented and all that. But I think when it would come down to – you know, when the rubber meets the road, he would not uh, – he would vote – he would support a man over a woman.
2: Yeah, I think – I, think, think, I know what you're saying. I think the way he treats Tiffany and the way he treats his wife, uh, Melania, but that I think for some reason in his mind, uh, Ivanka is like a, a special situation. Tim?
0: Well, I'm, I'm going to totally side with Catherine on this, and for the reason she said, I believe when it gets right down to it, Donald Trump does not have uh, a very high opinion of, of women, uh, no matter what he says. I do believe he has a great deal of affection for his daughter because she's his daughter – but that's as far as it goes, and I believe that hands down he would pick Junior because Junior's the man, and it's a man's world, brother.
2: Yeah. Well, here's the, here's the one thing. Now, going back to The Apprentice, you know the first season, and I didn't watch the first season, but it was the older gentleman and the younger, or she really wasn't young, but she was another lady that worked for him, and so he had the two people. Then she moved off. I don't remember her name. And Ivanka took the place, and even when he wouldn't be on, Ivanka got that role. And that may be because she's the oldest or what have you, but in the apprentice world, and you know how important that was to him, she was the more important figure than Don Jr. Um, So if that's the guide, that's kind of one reason I come up with that. And and I know we're thinking, oh, well, isn't the affairs of the American government more important than the apprentice? Well, yeah, to most people it is, but not to him. A, a reality TV show that's all about him is more important. Um, well, but so,
1: that was all about ratings. That was about ratings, yes. and he knew that. But were the ratings because to her, years. or it could have been Eric,
2: or it could have been, you know, they could have even thrown Tiffany in the mix. Uh, would it have mattered? I mean, the ratings would have probably been there for the concept. I mean, I'll be honest, they probably no, could have had was, a know. different billionaire – or I'm sorry, different millionaire – because um, we probably know he didn't have actually um, All those digits in his bank account They could have had the business person Come in It could have been Richard Branson It could have been Mark Cuban With that concept And, and the show would have gone Donald Trump added nothing special I don't think it was Mark Burnett's concept um, That's probably the most offensive thing Donald Trump would have ever felt I said about him um, <laughs> But, but and that's just where I but, get that guy. That's my guide there yeah, but
0: in Ivanka's in Ivanka's case she was more photogenic, the better one on television. I think she did produce better ratings than her brothers would have. So I think it was a a, a purely um business decision from from that point of view, not only by Trump But by, you know, the the people that actually, you know, did the show week to week and, and, and put it out there, that it was totally felt that she was the better one for the show and for its ratings, and that's the reason it was her and not them.
2: Yes. Well, and by the way, one note I didn't put about this poll is actually you could have voted for multiple candidates. So that's why the number goes way more than hundreds. Would you consider voting for them? I'm surprised like a lot of these candidates – like if you were a Republican, why wouldn't you consider a lot of them? Um, but it's on there. Let me just kind of ask you all a question. I don't know if I remember the list, um, but – which was maybe the least scary name on the list of all of the candidates? And there are some people that are definitely not in Trump world on this thing. Um, Tim, anybody?
0: Whew. Oh boy, you put a guy in a hard position. Well, Catherine, Tim, yeah, yeah. you
1: not you an answer? All Republicans are scary to me. Yeah. <laughs> well, I,
2: I'm saying I, I agree that they're not where I'm at Politically by any means But I would say the guy that was listed last On the list, now that means all the other Republicans are below him um, But I think Tim Scott uh, Would definitely be a huge departure uh, From Donald Trump I mean he's actually somebody Particularly after Charlottesville That actually stood up to Donald Trump I mean I guess you kind of have to If you're Tim Scott
0: yeah, um, know, When David, he's supporting the supremacy. Yeah but but any any Republican that is not in that administration, in in my book, just about with a few exceptions, would be uh, an improvement on on Donald Trump yeah, and, and his yeah. and his whole crowd.
2: Yeah, and, and then Marco Rubio was, I guess, the highest name of somebody that's definitely not in the Trump orbit. Um, you know, he he definitely during the primary yeah, went against him, Marco Rubio.
1: Yeah, and the funny thing yeah, Marco. is Ted Cruz was not even
2: <laughs> listed. I, I don't know. Did they forget to poll on Ted Cruz? Because you know that guy's running uh, the next chance he gets. Um, so um, I was kind of surprised that Ted Cruz was not even polled. Or if he was polled, um, people just won't consider voting for him. Maybe because of what he did at the 2016 convention, he is persona non grata. With that is too many now,
0: he is right he Nobody is for right him. now why yeah he is for right now while Donald Trump runs the party he yeah. definitely he
2: is and that, that may show that he has really uh sunk his star, if you will well, um, right. thanks again to Tom Jensen for coming on uh until next week. that's been the cuzu vine
1: good night, good night
0: guys, guys. Hi, everybody
1: We are the heirs of that very. First- Revolution. Will a strong and united America still be a force for freedom?